My name is Michael Campbell, and you're listening to Money Talks. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-type investment. That means you as an investor get paid first. There are no fees attached to it, and it's in the tech field. For more on that, you just go to soleraclub.com. Let's start with a quick question and two quotes regarding the federal budget. The question, can you point to a single difficult decision reflected in the federal budget? I didn't think so, and I think that speaks volumes. The first quote on government spending, courtesy of economic writer Henry, Henry Hazlitt, in quotes, the government has nothing to give anybody that it doesn't first take from someone else. The second quote, one of my favorites, by the way, in talking about the power of the status quo political elites, and it comes from celebrated author Thomas Pynchon, who warned, in quotes, if they can get you asking the wrong questions, they don't have to worry about the answers. And that relates to one of my big takeaways from the coverage of the federal budget, specifically in political coverage in Canada in general. In reviewing the federal budget, I didn't see a single commentary that questioned the size and scope of government. Yes, we talk about the increase in government spending and the size of the deficit. There was lots of talk of whether Justin Trudeau had misled the voters during the election when he promised to balance the budget in four years, given that now there's no plan to balance the budget for the next five years, and that's as far out as the budget projected. But here's the point. We talk about who won the latest spending spree, but not about whether the government should be involved in that particular area in the first place. I mean, our idea of this debate is whether the government should be spending an extra $2 billion or $4 billion in a given area. And that suits bureaucrats, public sector unions, political insiders, subsidized industries, everybody who benefits from the status quo. As long as we don't ask the question, there's going to be no meaningful change unless a serious financial problem forces it. I mean, it's game, set, and match to big government advocates. When it comes to change, it's already obvious that the Liberals' idea of change is all about form, not about substance. I mean, why do you think the PM got applauded by the civil service when he went to Parliament Hill after being elected? Or by native leaders, favorite industries? I mean, the Liberals are the defenders of the status quo. They're not going to initiate any change. No, it's the superficiality of happy talk and photo ops galore that masquerades as meaningful change. There's going to be no meaningful change in how Native Affairs manage the old and the new billions from the government. I mean, come on, it is an absolute joke, tragic joke, that for 20 years we've been talking about the lack of clean drinking water on some Native reserves. Literally, reports in the year 2000, 2001, 2003, 2005. I mean, my goodness, same stuff. We've been talking about the educational outcomes for ab Aboriginal use. I've got, I've got a report right at home here, 2002 on that one. Business as usual? You bet it is. I mean, come on, we're about to get Bombardier lining up again for tax dollars. And they're going to get them. Come on, they're from Quebec, and the Liberals like the votes in Quebec. The CPC is going to get 75 million new dollars this year, followed by 150 million each year, each year until 2020, 2021. I mean, the optics of the consistently favorable coverage given Mr. Trudeau are brutal. No one gets less under this budget. Okay, they did reduce the funding for military equipment by $3.7 billion over the next five years. And talk about a flashback to the Cretineries. Didn't that happen then, too? But there's no doubt that the big feature of the budget was all about more spending. 
What's scary is that there's so many ambiguous expenditures just ripe for political interference. My favorite, social infrastructure. Now, when they ran on the election campaign saying we're going to do infrastructure, come on, most people think about bridges or roads, some transit, that kind of stuff. No, social infrastructure. What the heck does that mean? Well, the prime minister is going to use his own definition. Nobody knows what the $2 billion for low carb, the Low Carbon Economy Fund is for either. Budget didn't give us any specifics. Of course, the Liberals and other big government advocates won't like me pointing this out. But it was much the same with the Conservatives. They were just status quo light, while the Liberals and the NDP are status quo plus. The politically connected are always safe. You're not, but they are. A final word. While we talk of deficits and debt, and more importantly, the growth of debt compared to the growth of the overall economy, we continually ignore, at the very least, an equally important question, and that is, where's the money spent, how efficiently it's spent, and should the government be doing it in the first place? Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based, no-fee, technology-based investment. Go to soleraclub.com. I'll take a break. Michael Levy's got a great three top stories here for you. i got a big, fat idea with Brent Wyatt, and we're going to be talking about latest in tech with Brent Holiday. All of that coming your way. Shocking stats, the works. Glad you're with us right here on the Money Talks Network. I've got a really fun, shocking stat for you today, plus a great quote of the week all of that coming your way but right now michael levy joins me top three things that smart people are talking about let me have it mike what's number three well this one i did what the heck are you kidding me are the liberals mad at money well apparently they are but federal budget pledges 675 million dollars in cbc funding you touched on that in your opening editorial mike but 675 million, 75 million in new funds for the rest of this year, 150 million dollars annually through 2021. I, Mike, I just, I just sat there and said, what? You know, it's an interesting thing. I mean, there's a whole debate always about CBC funding because it is large. You're talking about just the extra funding. And, you know, have things changed in the modern universe where we have the Internet for your information, uh, that you've got so many alternative channels, that kind of stuff. Is it time? And when people say it's popular, there's a big debate. Well, then why isn't it private? Uh, but I, you know, so I get that debate. But what I thought was interesting about this one, Mike, is I don't think they saw this coming at the CBC. This was better than they had hoped. Uh, much better. Hubert LaCroix, who is the uh, CBC's president and CEO, said, we are humbled by this important support. Hello? I mean, he didn't even, there was no indication that was coming. And to me, Mike, this just is the touchstone for this whole budget. And it comes under social engineering. And you talk about the liberals being supported in certain areas of the media. Well, let's take a look at the CBC and the way they lean towards the liberals. Well, here, here's your present under your doormat, and thank you very much. Well, the one thing I couldn't help but notice is that, in quotes, every progressive group got money. You know, I mean, uh, you know, those in the progressive uh, sphere and that dialogue all got money. I'm sure they thought it was terrific. Uh, What's your number two story? Well, Stan Drunkenmiller, and uh, he is so well known as being one of the best hedge fund managers until he took his money's private. And I always listen when he has something to say. He says, I see a storm coming 
bigger than 2008 as seniors steal. And what he's talking about is, is the mushrooming cost of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid in the U.S. with unfunded liabilities. And I know you're going to like this one, Mike. Not like it because you like it, but like it because you've been beating this drum of unfunded liabilities. But in the U.S., they're talking of a federal government unfunded liability as high as $211 trillion. Yeah, well, one of the things, I mean, you're absolutely right. I've been talking about this for a number of years because I think it's bigger than the debt problem. You know, we, we focused on debt, et cetera. Uh, no, we should be focusing on the promises we've made, uh, you know, in terms of health care, in terms of pensions. I like our Canada pension, by the way, Mike, just to make this clear. I like our Canada pension way more. I'm not worried about our Canada pension. They should be worried about their Social Security. Uh, you know, I think it's a real mess. And the reason is... Uh, Jean Chrétien in 1997, I believe, you know, uh, changed the amount that we're contributing. So ours is in much better shape. In the States, it's a complete mess what they've done down there. Well, they have well, not taken action. Uh, Mike, uh, and, you know, everybody's focusing on today. What's happening today? Let's go back one step to the federal liberals' budget. But this is what's going on in the U.S. And he says, Drunken Miller says, there's a much uh, bigger storm. He says, I'm not against seniors. What I'm against is current seniors stealing from future seniors. And, and that's exactly what's going on. It's the next generation and the generation after that that are going to be paying these bills and won't be able to afford it. And, you know, we just can't wrap our minds around what's going to happen in the future. It's what are you doing for me now, lately, today, and there's going to be a cost to pay. But, Mike, just one last thing before we leave this is um, Druckenmiller – he, he, being the hedge fund manager, late last year had a notional exposure of 30% of his portfolio in the Spider Gold Trust in the form of call options. Now, and that's not to say he's got it on now, but boy, did he see something the end of last year to put 30% of his portfolio in that gold trust. Yeah, as you say, we don't know we still got it now. Uh, let's go to the number one story. Well, this one's scary. Both the feds and Alberta have abandoned promises of balanced budgets. I'll give you Alberta first, then we can talk about the feds, Mike. Alberta's finance minister says he has no idea when the province's budget will be balanced. Months after promising the deficit would be eliminated before the end of the decade, end quote. Isn't that a comfort feeling for Albertans? Albert well, I mean, the thing is, uh, thanks to the oil boom, in fact, uh, I do believe they squandered a uh, ton of that. They're in a financial position that they can afford to run up de deficits. But again, I'll come back to my point, and it's the same for the feds. Whether you can afford it or not, you better look at what you're spending it on. And uh, they've got, they do have problems that are escalating. Obviously, their EI claims have just absolutely skyrocketed. Uh, they're not through their problems yet. But I thought it was an interesting uh, uh, and very noteworthy admission that they have no idea when their budget's going to be balanced. They don't, Mike, but the feds and Morneau, the finance minister, here's the quote. And as you can see, as you look in our budget, with the growth that we hope to achieve, we believe we can get to a balanced budget over time. This was the promise is going to be balanced in the first mandate up till almost a month before the budget. They were going to balance it in the first four years. And you know, Mike, that just takes me back to the conservative ad during the election. And the tagline was from Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, and the budget will balance itself. 
boy, are those words ever coming back to haunt. Well, i just add one more thing. He did say this week also, the Prime Minister, that uh, they're going to be relying on economic growth, but at the same time, uh, their budget, I thought, was very realistic in terms of projecting economic growth. They, they were, they're quite depressing, actually, but it was realistic. And so uh, there's, if we're talking about economic growth to change the dynamics there, there's nothing in the budget that would suggest that's going to happen because their own projections, which I say, say I, I agree with their conservative projections, uh, don't show that happening. And, Mike, I'm going to leave you with one last quote from Bank of Montreal's Doug Porter. I just love it. It's as if red is the new black, end quote. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, Michael. Have a terrific weekend. You too, Mike. Stay with me. I've got Brent Wyatt, Mike's big fat idea coming up. Wait till you hear my shocking stat. I mean, this is going to be another testimonial. To, we all got the wrong job, unless we're rock stars. Speaking of rock stars, wait till you hear my quote of the week coming up next. But right now, very pleased to welcome back to the show Brent Wyatt, Portfolio Manager, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Brent, we're talking big, fat ideas, so what's yours? Oh, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, what I want to talk about today is sector rotation or a change in leadership in the marketplace that we've been mm -hmm. seeing from growth to value stocks. Let, let me just elaborate. I think we all got an idea what a growth stock is. When you're talking about value stocks, value investments, uh, what, what kinds of stuff are we talking here? Yeah, let me just kind of define here uh, value and growth stocks. So a value stock is basically a company that tends to trade at a low price relative to its fundamentals. So these stocks, they tend to have a high dividend yield, uh, low price to book ratios, and low price to earnings ratios. You know, relative to, say, a growth stock, which is a company whose earnings are expected to grow at an above average rate relative to the market, these companies tend to have lower dividend yields, higher price to book ratios, higher, higher price to earnings ratios. They also tend to be known as glamour stocks. So think like Valiant yeah. Pharmaceuticals, which has gone you know, terribly wrong. But, so that's the difference between a value and a growth stock. So you're saying time to move into more the value side of things. Uh, can you give me a couple of quick reasons why? Yeah, so basically, um, you know, the current rotation we've been seeing, uh, it started in, at the August 2015 low. Uh, and even though value stocks, they traded lower into January with the rest of the market this year, um, you know, they're only marginally below the August lows. But the rally we've seen in value stocks in the past two months has been very strong with money flowing out of growth into value. Uh, and what we've found is that when value begins to lead growth, uh, we tend to favor like a barbell sector strategy where we focus on commodity cyclicals and domestic defensive companies. Uh, and what we've found, too, is that uh, when the growth value ratio, it tends to lead the trends in the U.S. dollar. So when growth begins to underperform value, it usually signals a peak in the U.S. dollar, which is a net positive for depressed commodity stocks. Okay, let me just, uh, a couple of quick things about this. Um, how, what's a, you know, obviously, this is what you do for a living, you know, as a portfolio manager, but give us a quick way you could play this kind of, that you could take advantage of this change in trend. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, we manage portfolios, um, you know, with about 15, 20 stocks in our portfolios on a discretionary basis. But for the average investor, the easiest way to play it is probably through an exchange-traded fund. And uh, there's an ETF called the iShares Canadian Value Index ETF. And the symbol is XCV, and that XCV. trades on the TFX. XCV. Okay, XCV, yeah. and it trains, uh, you know, the Canadian or the iShares Canadian Value Index. Okay, how long would I th think about holding this? You know, I mean, just generally. 
Yeah, I mean, probably about two to three years, because when we see a change in leadership in the marketplace, it tends to last for, a, for quite a while. And, and then let me just, okay, so, and I think you've just given us a hint about this, but who is this for? Who should be listening to us? You know, generally, this would be for longer-term investors who are seeking growth and income, because most of the companies that you will find in this ETF are, you know, some of the usual suspects, like the, the bank stocks, the large energy companies, you know, BCE and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, these companies, uh, you know, the, once the trends change, they tend to stay in place for a while. And it seems to me that, you know, as you say, it's sort of a shift um, to lower risk, let's say, uh, within the investment uh, arena. Yeah, I mean, ex- exactly. I mean, the valuations were extremely low, what we saw in January. And then just an interesting stat that Canadian stocks, uh, 62% of the market capitalization of the TSX uh, was paying at least a 3% dividend yield uh, in January, which was higher than what we saw in 2013 and 2009. And resource valuations were at a 20-year low. So, uh, yeah, I, I hear you loud and clear. So, uh, again, we're talking about iShares Canadian Value Index. What, once again, what's the symbol, Brent? Uh, XCV. Okay, and as usual, you know, uh, check how it's appropriate for your own portfolio, but this is what Brent Wyatt does for a living. He's portfolio manager, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Brent, thanks for finding time on the weekend. Good stuff. No problem. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon. That's Mike's big fat idea. And just a reminder, by the way, you can get uh, anything you listen to the show. I hope you're learning to go back to moneytalks.net. Excuse me. And uh, you can then get the business comments for the week. You can get the Money Talk show, any part of it you want. You can get the midweek update, and you can get uh, all sorts of great things. Top articles this week uh, were Canadian banking regulators sounding the alarm. What they're talking about is one of the questions that we posed over a year ago. It wouldn't be who borrowed the money. The real problem started to be who lent the money. So who lent the money to the oil and gas market, and what are the implications? I think it's a great, a great exercise to go through. Also, uh, another article very popular. This is where Mark Faber sees opportunities and how, excuse me, how to win the losers game. All of that. Stay with me, though. I got my code of the week. I got Brent Holiday. All of that's coming your way on the Money Talks Network.